If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Warning. This episode contains descriptions of violence, including a dangerous medical procedure, medieval style. It's a winter's day in Central Europe. Leopold's Duke of Austria is out riding with a few of his favourite knights. Their horses' hooves drum a rhythm on the hard ground. Steam rises from the animals' nostrils as they snort in the crisp midwinter air. Leopold's having a great time. It's December the 26th, 1194, party season and the Duke has lots to celebrate. As he and his men gallop along, Leopold considers the good fortune God has granted him. Two years ago, almost to the day, he pulled off a huge coup when he captured the King of England, Richard the Lionheart, and sold him to the Emperor of Germany. It was the sweetest revenge for insults he'd suffered at Richard's hands on the Third Crusade. Since then, he's also earned himself a pretty packet in his share of Richard's ransom payments. And he's forced Richard to grant his family a marriage to a wealthy Plantagenet heiress. She arrived in Austria just in time for Christmas. Leopold's looking forward to marrying her to his son. So yes, thinks Leopold, as he and his knights bound along, leaping over ditches and thundering through fields, God has finally smiled on me. Or has he? Leopold is an experienced rider, but somehow his horse either stumbles or takes fright. Leopold is thrown off. He hits the ground, and then his horse falls on top of him. Suddenly, it's chaos. Leopold's horse is screaming. His knights are struggling to rein in their own panicked steeds to go back to help their master. And Leopold himself is howling in pain. Rightly so. When his men finally get him free from under the horse, they see he's in a bad way. One of his legs is a mess, mangled so badly that bone is poking out of the skin. His knights pick him up and carry him back to his palace. Doctors do their best to patch him up, setting the bone back in place and dressing the wound. Then they put Leopold to bed and tell him they'll be back in the morning. When they return the next day, though, things have not improved for Leopold. He's pale and covered in sweat, and when they unwrap his bandages, they almost gag. His foot is black. It's already infected, which in the Middle Ages means one thing. 
Either they take the foot off, or Leopold's a goner. They explain this to Leopold, who's in awful pain, and now running a fever too. Needless to say, he doesn't like it. Still, it's a choice between life and death. Go on, he says. Amputate my foot. Only now, the doctors lose their nerve. They're not surgeons, and none of them wants to risk botching an operation on the Duke. After all, Leopold's already shown how he bears a grudge. Sorry, they say, we just can't risk it. Okay, says Leopold, I'll handle it myself. He commands one of his court officials to bring him an axe and a mallet. The official is absolutely quaking in his boots, but he does as he's told. Leopold sits up in his bed. He positions the blade of the axe just above the break in his leg. He gives the official the mallet. Now whack it, he says. Hard. Unfortunately, the court official isn't a surgeon either. He whacks it once, then twice. It's only on the third whack that Leopold's foot comes off. It's a credit to Leopold that he doesn't die on the spot of shock. But he dies all the same, after five days of writhing in agony, knowing that the end is coming. As he lies on his deathbed, Leopold changes his mind about something. Maybe God wasn't too happy with him for doing Richard dirty. Maybe he shouldn't have had the leader of the Third Crusade locked up for more than a year. On December the 31st, Leopold confesses his sins and orders Richard be paid back everything he's taken from him. Then it's all over. But there's one final indignity. The Pope had excommunicated Leopold for what he did to Richard. No Austrian churchman will dare perform the funeral until that sentence is officially lifted. So it takes eight days for Leopold to finally be laid to rest. When one English chronicler hears the news, he says this is proof that God crushes the proud that he might manifest his power to mortals. You could also say, this is what happens when you mess with the Lionheart. I'm Dan Jones, and from something else and Sony Music Entertainment, this is History, Season 2 of A Dynasty to Die For. Episode 9, The Devil is Loose. By the time Richard the Lionheart is released by the Emperor Henry VI in 1194, he's done more than a year in German prison. 
Granted, he wasn't exactly on bread and water rations when he was locked up, and his getaway was the result of high-level diplomacy rather than digging a tunnel like the medieval Great Escape. Still, for Richard and his supporters, freedom marks a triumphant end to a nightmare episode in Plantagenet history. For the people who'd helped put him behind bars, though, or plotted to keep him there, well, let's just say they aren't putting up the bunting and baking Richard a welcome home cake. Their nightmare is just beginning. Obviously, one of those who crossed Richard was Leopold of Austria. We've just seen what happened to him. God handed him a broken leg, a nasty case of gangrene and a blunt axe. And for more on the disastrous world of medieval surgery, check out this week's subscriber episode. The two men on the very first page of Richard's bad books are Philip Augustus of France and John, Richard's youngest brother. When the news broke that Richard was going to be let out of prison, Philip wrote to John and warned him. Look to yourself. The devil is loose. He's not kidding. To understand why these two were so panicked about Richard coming home, we need to pause for just a moment and look at just what they'd been up to while Richard was away. Let's start with John. Back in episode 6, we heard how he'd managed to wheedle his way out of Richard's ban on him visiting England during the Third Crusade. Having done that, John set himself up as a sort of wannabe king. He tried his hardest to undermine the royal officials Richard had appointed to run things in his absence. He lauded it over Richard's subjects parading around the country as though the crown was already his, and filling key royal castles with his own soldiers. He pointedly ignored the awkward news that Richard had chosen his official heir to be someone else, a nephew called Arthur of Brittany, who in the 1190s was barely out of his baby grow. Worse than any of this, however, was John's decision to try and collaborate with Philip Augustus and win the French king's backing for his ambitions to elbow his brother off the throne. He offered Philip land and important castles on the French Plantagenet border in Normandy if they could strike up an alliance. He also said he would ditch his wife and marry Philip's sister Alice, many times jilted by Richard, if they could just be pals. John essentially made it clear that he was ready to bend over backwards if Philip would help him lobby the Emperor to keep Richard in jail and nudge him closer to the crown. In his own mind, John was making himself an attractive ally to Philip and he reckoned he could use him to further his own cause. He couldn't have been more wrong. Philip Augustus sees John as weak, pathetic and easily led. After a lifetime of arm wrestling with Henry II and Richard, here is a Plantagenet he reckons he can consistently get the better of. Philip is 100% right. So throughout 1193, while Richard was in jail, he played along with John. And that tactic 
paid off handsomely. Without so much as a whisper of disapproval from John, Philip spent much of 1193 sending armies into Normandy and Aquitaine to pick off the juiciest bits. His men took vital castles like Gisors, one of the most important frontier fortresses between France and Normandy, virtually without a fight. They even got close to seizing the Norman capital, Rouen. And what was John's reaction? Instead of standing up for the family inheritance, which had been so painstakingly assembled by his and Richard's father, John tried to wriggle ever closer to Philip. Right up until the point that Richard was about to be released, John was handing over chunks of Norman territory to Philip in return for recognition of his right to rule what was left. He ended up giving roughly half of Normandy away to the French king. He also surrendered vital border fortresses in the core Plantagenet county of Anjou. To add insult to injury, down in Aquitaine, John made agreements with rebellious lords, granting them their freedom from Plantagenet oversight if they promised not to cause any trouble. Then, in one last throw of the dice, he asked Philip to join him in bribing German Emperor Henry VI to keep Richard imprisoned indefinitely. The German Emperor sensibly refused. So that's why, when Richard's release is imminent, Philip writes to John, warning him that the devil is loose. The two troublemakers must be sweating buckets. Unless Richard has changed very dramatically during his time on crusade and in prison, he's going to be hell-bent on payback. When Henry III chose his royal advisers, he ended up with some very untrustworthy power grabbers, which led to poor management decisions, rebellions, and at least one person in prison. Why didn't he use Indeed? Well, Indeed wasn't around back then, but it is today. Indeed is the ultimate hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and matching technology that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. When I was hiring, I didn't use Indeed either and the process was very slow and stressful, so I wish I had. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a £100 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash dynasty. Indeed.com slash dynasty. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Richard is formally released from custody on March the 4th, 1194. His faithful old mother, Eleanor of Aquitaine, is there to meet him. As a long-time prisoner herself, Eleanor probably provides an empathetic ear to her favourite son. We don't know exactly what their reuniting party looks like. We do know what Richard does next. First, he goes to church in the city of Cologne to celebrate freedom with an old friend. The archbishop there is a major political player and was one of the few people who spoke up for Richard during his trial at the emperor's court. The archbishop sings him a special mass, which includes the line, Now I know that God has sent an angel. And then, Richard goes on a cruise. He sails around the ports of Flanders, France's neighbour to the northwest, for almost a week. Which, all things considered, is pretty weird. After all, Richard is well aware that Philip Augustus still has troops rampaging around Normandy. John is on the loose, almost certainly causing trouble somewhere. And there are countless other treacherous, good-for-nothing wastrels that he could get down to having his vengeance on. His loyal subjects in England, and what's left of the Plantagenet Empire, are desperate for his return. Yet Richard seems to have other things on his mind. Maybe his prison sentence left him desperate for some sea air, in any case, he takes his time. It's not until March the 13th that he finally makes his way over to England to bask in a hero's return and give thanks once more to God, this time at Thomas Becket's shrine in Canterbury. It's almost as though he knows that he doesn't actually need to throw his weight around to announce that Daddy's home. All Daddy has to do is walk through the front door. From the moment he's back, it's clear that the Lionheart's name and reputation haven't lost any of their menace while he's been in prison. One of the many castles being held by John's allies in England is the fortress on the island of St Michael's Mount, in the southwest of England, in Cornwall. That's about 350 miles from Kent, where Richard lands. It's almost impossible to attack. To be frank, it's not going to be near the top of Richard's to-do list. Yet the man holding it against the returning king is so scared by the mere mention that Richard is back that it's said 
he dies of fright. John's forces also hold Nottingham Castle. Here the garrison think they're plenty tough, and it will take more than hearing Richard's name to finish them off. Although not a huge amount more. Richard does turn up, and saddle up. In late March, he brings a company of knights, dons armour himself, and challenges the idiots inside to come out and fight. When they take up the challenge, Richard does indeed fight, and wins easily. A few are captured, and Richard hangs them in full view of the castle walls. The castle surrenders. Word gets round. The Lionheart doesn't have much trouble after that. Almost everyone else holding a castle for John does the more sensible thing. They give up and ask for Richard's mercy. By the middle of April, Richard is confident that the whole of England is obedient to him once again. He's also confident that John isn't in the country. Reports say he's somewhere on the continent, still in the orbit of Philip Augustus. Richard doesn't seem phased. In fact, he can now reveal to his council what took him a minute to get back from the Emperor's court to England. His little jaunt around the ports of Flanders was no pleasure cruise. Richard was already in general mode. It was in fact a military scouting exercise, looking at territory that's important to Philip Augustus, and places in Normandy that John has gifted away. Revenge is coming. Richard has been planning it since the minute he walked out of the Emperor's court. He's just playing a smarter game than most. Clearly, that game isn't going to be played in England. It's going to be played in Normandy, Anjou, Aquitaine, and wherever else Philip and John have left him a mess to clear up. Before he goes, Richard realises that he needs to do more for his long-suffering English subjects than just scare a few people to death and hang a few others. On April the 17th, the Sunday after Easter, he arranges for a great ceremony to be held in Winchester Cathedral. It's called a crown-wearing. That's not quite a second coronation, but it's a formal reminder that Richard is the boss, and he means to keep it that way. To emphasise his bossness, Richard summons the King of Scots, William the Lion, to come and attend as his guest of honour. He also makes sure that Eleanor plays a prominent role in the service, since she has done so much to keep the show on the road while he's away. There's a reason the ceremony is held in Winchester. The city has special royal resonance as the ancient capital of England. It's also close to a new military port that Richard wants to develop on the south coast, Portsmouth. This is going to be his new naval base and a jumping-off point for his reconquest of those Plantagenet lands across the Channel that have been lost while he's been away. 
In early May, Richard grants this new naval base an official royal charter. Ten days later, he has 100 ships readied there, full of men, horses, supplies and weapons. Everything he's going to need to get the job done. One big question facing him is with so many fires burning across the channel, where does he even start? Another one is where on earth is his useless brother John hiding? And the biggest one of all is what's he going to do with John when he finds him? To find out, come back next time for another episode of This Is History. Hi everybody. Before we go, I wanted to just say thank you to all of you for listening to This Is History. We hope you're loving the show as much as we love making it, and we want to hear from you. Your feedback goes a long way, and it only takes a few minutes. Just head to thisishistory.fans on the browser of your choice to answer a few questions. We're so excited to hear from you. Thanks for listening.